You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson. And today I am so excited to introduce to you Dr. Anne DeRossier. She is the Chief Experience Officer at the Voluptuary Travel LLC. She is a travel blogger, a philanthropist, and a entrepreneur in the space, someone who I've had the good fortune of traveling with. And she is from Brooklyn, New York. We're going to talk all about her experience growing up in Flatbush, all the way from Haiti and traveling out to 57 different countries. And I don't know how else I can introduce you more than that, but people are in for a treat listening in today. So without further ado, welcome. Matt, it's so good. Thank you for having me. I think the only thing you forgot is doctor. You know, I doctor, go doctor. Did I not say doctor? You say that, but it's, you know, I love you. And, you know, it's all good. <laughs> you know, Dr. Ann is in the building. I say that because I'm infinitely proud of achieving this thing. And I've seen, you know, you've seen the news. I've seen the news with people kind of acting like they want to play. I don't play with my title. Not that she was playing with it. The bios are a lot. I get it. It's all love. I'm just so happy to see you again, as I've said, and I'm loving the energy and, you know, we go way back. So just happy to be here. Absolutely. I read the doctor in the bio. Somehow it skipped in my brain. It did not come out of my mouth, but I will tell you, I watched you work hard on that doctorate because when I first met you, I believe in 2015, we were just reminiscing. You were not a doctor at that point. So I know you as Anne from Brooklyn. And I want to tell everybody about one of the first, you know, this is a few days into the first this trip that we took to Iceland and you had these amazing gold Nikes on a glacier in Iceland with crampons on them. Do you remember the shoes? I do remember that. I remember Biggie. Biggie put my crampons on my feet. I have the recording somewhere in the files of Flickr of Biggie putting on my, like, I was like, yo, Biggie's from Brooklyn. Like it was meant to be. And look, I'm always, you know, Matt, it's like I said, I'm always going to be me. I'm always going to be Brooklyn. I'm always going to be repping Flatbush in every space I'm in. The degree just meant I don't got to code switch as much no more because I paid my dues and I'm good and I'm still an expert, you know, but I love that you saw me when I was like, you know, early in the game. So just being myself, I think I have like the flyest pictures from Iceland. I look at them like I need to make an album because there's a lot of flyness happening around the world that just needs to be documented. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time and we can get into to Iceland and what you're doing now, but I would love for you just to bring the listeners who don't know you up to speed on your story a little bit, because I had forgotten, I guess, until I read your bio that you were actually born in Haiti. And, you know, I knew, of course, you can't forget that Anne is from Brooklyn here and Flatbush at that. So would you mind bringing people up to speed on on just your your background a little bit? Of course, of course. So I was born in Haiti, came when I was when I was super young, uh, raised by a single mom in Flatbush, went to public school my entire life, but then, you know, got into Penn. So I'm an Ivy League graduate. And I think, you know, something that was very formative in my experience of, of kind of Living in Brooklyn, going to public school, having teachers kind of be like, well, you know, don't go to this school, like apply here and and do this and do that, is that I always have people looking out for me just because I just love to learn. Like it was something that I was always hungry for it. As one of my teachers, one of my favorites just told me about myself. 
when she met my students when I was teaching. So, you know, went to Penn. And when I got to Penn, I had a chip on my shoulder, you know, like when I when I graduated, because everyone that I met had been to Europe, had done all these things. And by the time I got to college, I had been on cruises, like two cruises with my family. Shout out to my aunt, who is the world traveler in my family. She's been to Switzerland. She's been to Brazil, Panama. I mean, she been she had a lot. She got a big, you know, passport country count, too. But I really wanted to change that for myself. So in undergrad, I studied abroad in Australia in 2005. Only black girl from Penn going to Australia, child, you know, by myself. Now, I made me a friend. Leslie was my friend from Penn at the time that we, we were like, you know, aces out in Sydney, Australia. I worked at a Greek restaurant. Shout out to Tim. I don't even know where in the world Tim is right now. His mom got my mom some presents. She still uses them in the kitchen, dish towel. You know, I just really learned that I could do it, you know, and that's where the traveler really was born was when I was in Australia on my own troubleshooting all of these things that happened. And I was hooked. You know, I went, I saw a STA travel deal. I had a refund check. I had some, you know, I had a little bit of extra money to burn. You know, when you're younger than college, you be having some extra money now. And so I booked a trip to South Africa and Hong Kong. And I finished all my work prior to the end of the semester so that I could take this trip. And I was solo. I took the Baz bus around South Africa. And man, I had a backpack. I bought a backpack in Australia. And um, I can show you a picture of it. It's actually on my on my deck right now because my, my cousin unpacked the garage. She was like, come get your stuff. You know, my family, my mom has, they've always been supportive. It was really scary when I was traveling back in the days. You know, people take for granted that we have FaceTime, we have WhatsApp. You know, when I was out there, we didn't have none of that. I used to have to schedule, you know, to go to the phone center. You remember the international phone booths and all that? Sure. I used to have the time when I would go there so I could catch somebody at the right time based on the time difference. I would sit at the internet cafe and write summaries about my adventures at that time. So a lot of my travel was solo before social media kind of kind of took that place. And I was a travel agent as well. Um, after undergrad, I did many different things before I fell into education. But the travel has always been like at the heart of everything almost naturally. So, you know, my friend Jadena and the Fear and Fancy crew, they were like, yo, like you've been mad places. Like the kids would love that and you love history. So why don't you work with us and and be a teaching artist. And that's how I got into the classroom in in 2013 as a teaching artist using hip hop, using Jadena's. He produced a bunch of music to get kids to pass the regents in history. They were overage, undercredited. And I used, it was called Fresh Prep. And it was a whole book of of lyrics that taught everything. It was amazing that he created. Wow. I could send you the SoundCloud link. It's like genius. But they were like, because you travel and just being who you are, we think the kids will rock with you. And Man, they call me Harriet Tubman. I used to be outside in the summer, like trying to get these kids, calling them up, like, come downstairs in the park and get this learning so you could pass this test and graduate now, you know. But the travel always helped me do all the things that I did. And I always told my kids, you know, when I was in, I eventually started teaching full time in Brooklyn. I've only taught black and brown kids, which I'm very proud of because I always felt like it was important to take all my blessings and and be there for the kids now. They need a lot. A lot of people just don't get what's happening in education. And so I'm in this space, but travel is in my heart. And so I just have married the two to really make sure that kids can envision and see themselves in a world that doesn't see them. And that's really where I'm at with it now. But that's that's kind of like the long and short way that I could tell you all about where I am and trying to build my brand 
authentically being me, knowing that I'm not I'm not posting bikini shots all the time, but I've been to 57 countries. I've been traveling solo. You're rocking with a pro. You know, I'm gonna make it hot. I'm gonna make it authentic. You know, I really love connecting with culture. I have friends all around the world because I make friends wherever I go genuinely. And if we did that, you know, humanity, I think will be so much better. That's what I rely on. We have so many differences, but we have so much in common. And it sounds like a kumbaya thing. But when you're, you know, when you're in Cambodia and don't got no money and it was my, my German friend said, he was like, yo, I'll spot you the money until somebody wires it to you. He got me from, from Vietnam to Cambodia when I was freaking out because I had no money. You know, and me and Seb have hung out when he's in New York. And so I've learned a lot from my friends around the world. And I've learned so much about where we live now from my travels. And so that's really what I want to put out into the universe with the voluptuary and with the brand. Wow, that's beautiful. And, and Dr. Ann, you said something there and I was trying so hard to stay present and not remember exactly like, you know, when you're listening to someone and you have a follow-up question, you want to make sure you stay present and listen and not like, type down what you said, but you said something about the kids that you were teaching in school and how maybe you said the world didn't see them. It was a really beautiful line. Is that what you said? Uh, you know, my, my mission, one of the biggest missions in my life, my life's work is to get students into the world, literally, to literally, physically, figuratively, to get students into a world that does not see them. You got to understand, right? Like, when your culture is the biggest commodity of your nation, but your nation can continue to, you know, to treat you inhumanely for the world to watch. The world is always watching and they know what's happening with Black Lives Matter. And it's not even about Black Lives Matter. This is just about humanity and being seen as human, right? So the young people internalize all of that. You know, the, the, all the, the proliferation of these videos of this injustice that you see, like kind of just like second nature, the kids internalize that and they see themselves in that versus seeing themselves in a woman who is from Flatbush, who became a doctor, who talks like this and also been to 57 countries. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it takes just a little spark. It takes just a little bit to really shift what people think is possible, especially young people. And travel does that. And that's what my dissertation was on. I took 56 kids from Sheepset Bay to Copenhagen, Denmark for their senior trip. I took 42 kids from Sheepset Bay that went to school there, right? And the school is right across the street from the project. So when I tell you that you're going to an all-white country, what happens with that, it was overwhelmingly positive, right? These are kids who, I had a student tell me, I never thought Castles was real. One of my hoodies was, I never thought Castles, like a boy said that, you know? And so wow. I do it big. Like we see in Castles, we get in private tours, I'm a boss in the game. I don't play when it comes to what I plan and how I plan it. And I think that's another part of the business that I wish people knew were more willing and open to explore is the travel consulting thing. Because when you're dealing with a pro, it's really a different experience and it's really a beautiful thing. But they were rocking with the pro from long time. So, you know, my kids still talk about these trips. They still remember them. They want to do it again. And I'm trying to just, you know, despite COVID, I was supposed to have a contract with a school that wanted to go to Ghana. And I was in the middle of setting everything up and then COVID took that, but still trying to figure out a way to make that happen and let it be known that if private schools are doing it, public schools should be doing it, right? This is what we talk about when we say equity. They can have a payment plan and that's what my kids did so that they can go away, right? Because it's important. 
it, it does more than sitting in a classroom could ever do. And let's face it, what's happening in the classrooms ain't that interesting anyway. So let's let's just put them on a plane, you know? Absolutely. And I wanted to ask about your experience in the travel industry, because as you said, as you said, even teaching in Flatbush, you were teaching kids where the world did not see them. How about doing this in an industry which, as I understand, doesn't really see black people very often? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, Matt. Like, it's really hard. I think from my, and I can only speak from my experience, right? It's difficult being well-versed, being an expert in my field and in, in terms of travel and education, but more so travel, right? And not being seen because I'm not doing certain things or I'm not in a certain... I'll speak it to you like this. I think broadly, we're not seen, but people are starting to realize that we spend a lot of money. It's always about the money. That's right. And and I'm just going to jump in and I want people to know when I say not seen, it's not like we don't see physically, like visually, I've never seen a black person traveling before, right? That I want to make sure that that's not what people think. I think it's that the industry is not particularly inclusive in the jobs, in the marketing, how do we get black people? Who, the last statistic I heard was spent $132 billion on travel. Like, I mean, come on, <laughs> like, it's, let's it's, get, it's, let's get on that. No, seriously, it's the thing. And, and I then I thank you for clarifying that for sure, because, you know, nowadays you have to, you have to over clarify. Oh yeah. For the people, for the people listening in the back that didn't hear that part. Well, in that regard, right, I do think this is one of those systemic issues, right? Like when we talk about systemic racism and discrimination and things like that, that's one of the things that just falls in line with it. Travel influencers being paid significantly less for their posts, for their contributions versus white, you know, influencers. And that's that's across social media, across the board. Associations, organizations, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I also think it's important to figure out what is equitable inclusion. And so that's what I'm going to speak about from where I am in my business, because that's, I, I can only speak to what I know, right? So there is a very large Black travel kind of social media world. It's, it's huge. Lots of people in it, you know, because it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful to see our people everywhere. Like I said, Matt, 2015, you wasn't seeing all of that. You know what I mean? Like, because you, because it wasn't around. There was no Instagram. There was no sure. way to kind of really, I used to post my stuff on Facebook so people knew I was okay. That's really what I was doing. So, you know, for me, sometimes there's, I wouldn't call it insecurity. I don't know what's the right adjective to put on it, but trying to build a brand, having so much behind you and trying to put it forward in an environment that cares about certain things is very difficult. I think in the Black travel community, it's a lot about the flash and and not about the content. It's a lot about look at me. It's not about the depth and the breadth of what you can do and see when you go to a place. And I'm not not coming at anybody in particular. I'm just saying what I see. And I follow a lot of these things. You know, I, I make sure I do my research and I think it has an impact. I think a lot of people are going to Tulum, right? Because that's what they see. So that's how we move. We move on some, oh, Tulum look lit. Like everybody in Tulum, I'm about to get over there. When me, for example, 
I'm gonna tell you the secret. I went away during COVID, but I ain't tell nobody because it was my man's birthday and we got to celebrate. Where did we go? We went to Merida. Absolutely. That's my style. My style is not the touristy, the American. Every time I've been to places like that, I haven't really enjoyed it. And so I think finding your people amidst all the noise is one of the hardest things of building a brand organically at that. And so that's where I am. And I think that also speaks to the Black experience of smaller folks who are good, who are great, but we can't compete when there's like a popular group of travel influencers that are Black that get called to do everything. So how am I going to compete with some of the major hitters out there? Like, I don't have the team. I was working two virtual jobs up until this past week. I got a baby. I got a life. And, And my approach is to be me. And again, like I said, I'm not dropping ass shots every day. I'm not showing my skin all the time because it's not about me so much as it is about seeing the world and seeing the beauties of the world and learning how to do that, right? And experiencing the world through the five senses because travel is really the only way, the only thing that really activates all five senses almost simultaneously. Nothing else can really say that it does that. And so it's it's hard. It, it's hard. It's frustrating sometimes. I think there are a lot of great things that have come out of that. You know, we have the Black Travel Alliance. We have a lot of things that are coming out of it, but it's almost like until there is almost like an understanding between like the Black groups and like the white groups, it becomes the same iteration of the same problem. It's like, we telling you that we want you to see us. Meanwhile, we're seen in our own way, right? Is that inclusive? Is that diverse? And that's the real challenge, I think, for this this new word of the day or word of, of the moment, which is equity and inclusion. It's a hard thing. And I think, you know, being in a lot of white spaces, like in my schooling, when I went to undergrad, like I said, in grad school, all of that, I think I'm not afraid to be in these places. And when I show up in these places, I'm always bringing flat bush. I'm always thinking about the kids. That's how what I do for my part of the revolution And that's what I'm trying to do, because we have to be able to go into these spaces and be ourselves in order for people to see the value of having more people like that, because more people like me know other people like me. Totally. And first of all, on the Tulum thing, I'm so happy that you said that. And we actually changed up our Yucatan itinerary. We were going to Tulum, but there's a lot of issues, you know, the underground... Yeah, and all the all the sewage leaks into the cenotes underneath uh, the coral. I mean, they call these all these eco chic places down the beach on Tulum, but they're all run by diesel generators. And there's just I, I could go on, but you know, just the over tourism and and everything. There's a really good article. I think it was in the New Yorker or one of their publications. Anyway, it was called "Who Killed Tulum," and I'm going to link this up in our show notes and everything that Anne mentions. I'm going to link up at under30experiences.com slash blog. So we have extensive show notes so you can find out where to find links to all of of her work as well. But yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And we're going to Merida on our itinerary. I'm really glad to hear that. And I also wanted to comment and say it's universal about the, we know what sells, right? It's the, the luxury. And as you said, the ass shots and it doesn't really matter the color of your skin when it comes to what gets the likes, but I can see how that perhaps is for, I don't want to use a judgmental, I don't want to say worse, right? But it's accentuated maybe in the black community because 
you've got what do we see in in hip-hop right like the videos are out of control and everybody thinks well yeah i gotta go on vacation it's gotta look like a hip-hop video where you know (laughs) in in manita like you can stay at an amazing airbnb or probably there's a five-star place in in manita if that's what you want to do but you could create that same type of environment in I don't know, in Vegas, right? Or something like that. So why are you going to Merida if you're not really trying to experience, like there's so much focus on luxury travel and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're going to blow through your money really quickly. And you might miss a whole lot of what's happening on the streets, you know, and that's where the culture is. That's where the experience is in my eyes. No, it's Matt, you, you have it a thousand percent. You hit the nail on the head. You know, I think I'm not in a place of judgment. Whatever you want to do, it's your life. Look, if it makes you happy, if you like it, I love it. I don't want to get into the uh, the nuances of what's better or worse because that's not what it's about. I think it's important for people to understand what type of traveler they are and why, right? Like me, I do the luxury and I do, you know, the hip hop moves. And I do, I, I do the flex. I do all of it. And honestly, if I was on IG with the stuff I was doing when it first came out, I probably by now would have had 10,000 something followers or whatever like that. But I was just busy living my life. Just like when I travel, I'm still busy living my best life. And I just don't feel the need to kind of in the moment do all the things. And it's a lot of work to be an influencer. You know, it's a lot of work. Like, I'm, I don't think I want to sit there and go with a team. Like, that again, that's not my style. I'm not going with a drone. If you want to go see this joint, go see this joint, man. Like, And I also think there's a reticence to things that people don't know. And that goes back to education, right? And being open-minded and being open to something that is not the familiar. You know, my partner's never been to Mexico. I've been to a lot of places. So now when we come to these decisions about, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? I never want my partner to feel like because I've done it already, we can't do it again. Right. And so it was really about how can we do it? How can I go back to this place and let's both see something new together? And that's how we found Merida. And it's equidistant. You know, it's beautiful. We are now landowners in Merida. Like we love. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Listen, I done came up that, you know, I'm coming up on the scene with it. Another place, for example, I had a couple that wanted to, that was, you know, inquiring about, about honeymoon packages and they wanted to go to the Caribbean in hurricane season. And I was just like, listen, I just can't as a professional recommend that. You can go to anybody else and they'll give it to you and you'll be stuck in the rain or with a lot of mosquitoes because it's just nice and humid. Not the best time. Things that professionals can tell you. I said, have you ever heard of Guatemala? And that's the thing that professionals can do. But if you're not going to receive, and I'm not saying that they received it or not, but my thing is Lake Atitlan, hands down, is one of the most beautiful places I've been to in the world. And I've been to 57. So I'm going to tell you, when you're on a lake and you're seeing volcanoes and you have people that open up home states to you and you can just get on a little boat and chill and just be quiet, man, and it's affordable, man, I took nine chicken buses. That's the story. I took nine chicken buses <laughs> to get to Lake Atilan because my homeboy, Josh, who I used to, yo, what up, Josh, who I used to work with from SCA Travel as a travel agent, he was like, yo, Ann, you got to get there. And I said, yo, you told me that, I'm going to make sure I get there. And I, oh man, it's beautiful. And again, that's part of what my job is because I've seen so many things. I want to give people opportunities to see beauty. 
in places that they would have never considered if they just trust in me, right? And that really, you know, I launched these two trips. I have a trip going to Jalisco next March. They're open, deposit-friendly. They're uh, That's going to be in March. In February, I have a trip going to Uganda and Tanzania. We're going gorilla trekking. We're going to Zanzibar after that. So I'm telling you, I could do the flex. I could do the hiking. I could do it all. And that's a, and that's through a Black-owned company. And we connected on Facebook. She's a mom. I'm a mom. You know, this is what I see as responsible travel, right? Like deciding what we want to do to support communities that look like us and that don't look like us in authentic ways that are mutually beneficial and and connecting to culture in the meantime. Like we're going to see some gorillas. We're going to see how tequila is made. Baby, it's a movie. Like, I'm sorry. Like, look, I've been to Jalisco, Mexico. It's a gem. It's a gem. And I don't know, Matt, if you've been to San Luis de Potosi, but that's on my list. And I hope it's on yours, too, because I heard that's nature all day. I know, I know you love nature. So you do. I have not been there, but uh, it's going on my list now, actually. So I got to I got to put that one on my list. I got you. And wow. Gorilla trekking. And that's in Uganda. Yep. Unbelievable. That's uh, that's going to be. And we and we added it with Tanzania. I love Africa, like even more so now with everything going on, I just feel more called to go to places that are of my people and where my people are because it's so filling. Like I have a blog post about going to Africa and seeing all the billboards and all the billboards of black people. You go to the market and all the magazines is black people. Like, you know, like it's a mind, it's a mind blowing thing to be black and go to some place where everything Everybody own everything and they all look like you. And that's also something I want to help our kids see. Like, even if they go to white places or predominantly white countries, that our culture is everywhere. You know, you are a trend maker, whether they're staring at you for good or for bad, like you on the scene, you here. Or if you go home, that's home. Like, people can say what they want, but that's where everybody came from. But that's where we, the way we dance, the way we, you know, move the way we eat. Like, so that's what time it is, you know? So yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And when you're back home, like, what was it like when you said to the people around you, first of all, I'm going to UPenn, probably not a lot of people. I mean, I don't know your, your specific neighborhood in Flatbush, but I imagine not a lot of people from your neighborhood end up going to Ivy League institutions, right? Like, well, tell me about that. And then also how once you started to travel, people are probably like, wait, she's out there doing what? She's she's supposed to be at UPenn. Why is she going to Australia right now? She could be getting an Ivy League education. I'm sure that, you know, that that wasn't like the beaten path from from someone from your background. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about maybe uh, you heard some dissent or or just how that was in general. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Penn was like my dream school. So when I found, again, things that didn't happen pre-IG and pre-social media, we didn't have those recordings of when you get the decision. But I could tell you, I was like, I fell out. I was crying. I was excited. My mom has always been my number one. She's always been a cheerleader. When I, and I, and I, when I graduated in 2007, I gave her my graduation cap because that was for her. She met every single teacher I ever had from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade to the point where she was like, eh, there's no parent teacher conference at the college. And I said, nah, ma, like, it's over for that. Like, we grown now. Like, you don't do all of that. It was tough at first being at Penn. 
And, you know, I would, I, me and my mom are very close. And she would say, you know, if you came home, I wouldn't be mad. You know, if that, and I said, nah, mom, I'm here. I'm going to make it work. And it's not easy, but I got it. You know, I, I'm going I'm to push through. You know, when you go to a school where everybody's smart, it's crazy. Like it's actually, and, and then when I was going to Penn, it was at the time when affirmative action was, was a debate. And so people are literally, you know, in classrooms like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I don't talk for every black person because I'm not every black person. But a lot of people sitting in this room are here on affirmative action called the silver spoon that daddy had. And that was really my response. And people knew not to mess with me after that. Like, you know, you're not average if you're going to Penn. Like, that's just my experience. Like, they can let in anyone. So they're not going to let in anyone. Like, you know, I had the, I graduated seven in my class in high school. And I didn't do any programs to get into Penn. I got in like, just like that. I wasn't in no pre-college thing or I just got in. So people were like, you're like a unicorn. And I was like, I like that. I, I think I am a unicorn. So fast forward to going to Australia and you know how, you know, Haitian people are just hilarious. So my cousin was like, oh, they're racist over there. And it's super dangerous. Like they have some really big spiders. Like you sure you're going to let them? <laughs> The spiders. I love out of all things, that's what they decided to bring up. Yeah, like, like now nah, my cousin like really said that to my mom. My mom was like, look, she already going, number one. Number two, I can't stop her. And number three, she'll be all right. Like she goes to all white school. So if they're racist, it ain't nothing she ain't used to. And, you know, it was different. And I think this is part of why I count the countries. I think it can easily be construed as something that's braggadocious. But, you know, I always used to see these places in my textbooks. And I, because I loved history in, in school growing up, that was my favorite subject. And my mom is a big history buff too. And so going to Henry Christoph's Citadel in Haiti, you know, when I went in 2006, like going to the Taj Mahal, like these are things that I never thought I would see being on, on East 19 and Flatbush. Like I never thought in my life, one day I will go to the Seychelles for a momcation. <laughs> like I never thought I would go to Iceland and be on a glacier and meet Matt from upstate Poughkeepsie all day, East Fish Kills repping. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the things that I thought. What I did want to do is just be able to be open. And in being open, trust me, people, people have said, people always think I'm in the military before they ask me my background. My passport gets a lot of looks. They'll, they'll like go through all the pages like, uh, what, what, what was the purpose of this trip? And you're by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, like, what about it? I'm on vacation, you know? So I think I am a walking anomaly. I'm used to it. And I think I'm just a testament to not judging a book by its cover, but also being able to be fully yourself and in all the different spaces and interests that lie within you. And I think that's important to say because one joke that I, I like to tell people is that, you know, I'm a little bit of an Oreo inside. Like, I love me some Madonna. I love me some 90s Aerosmith, you know, like, it's okay. I could do the pop smoke. I could do that too. Like. The human experience is to just live and to experience as many things as life has to offer. And as a spiritual person, man, man, like God made such a beautiful world. Like it's so beautiful. And the people in it are so beautiful. That's just the vibration I want to be on. I don't want to be on no other vibration. That's not that. Well said. Well said. And I really like that bit. I mean, that is, that is a deep bit if you unpack it about how there's so much out there to explore. And we are literally as part of the universe, like a, a, a grain of sand, but we are, we're there experiencing the universe 
as the universe, as part of it. And uh, I know that might sound like, I don't know, stoner talk or something to, to some people, but I really do believe that. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we're here is to have these experiences and, and we are acting as the universe uh, actually experiencing itself. So that's really cool when you, when you say that. Yeah, I mean, we're made up of the same materials as stars. When you know that, when you can own that energy, Man, I went to Rainbow Mountain in Peru and was like, just look at God. Look at God. Look at my life. I am just, I didn't want to take the horse at first because I was I was trying to hike, you know, I was, I'm tired. I'm taking the horse. Ain't no competition between nobody else over here. Let me get the horse, sir. Got onto the, you know, it's a track. It is a track. And I never even thought, one of the blog posts I have coming up soon is just what travel has taught me. And it's such a long thing. So I'm, I'm going to break it up. But one of the things is that I, I do like nature and, and coming from the concrete jungle that is New York City and been being in it for a very long time and not being exposed to the outdoors like that. It has been it means so much to, to have seen a glacier and also to know that because of global warming, like, yeah, it's not there anymore. Like where we went, it's probably like water at this point melted, you know, oh, yeah, the, that lagoon is so much bigger in front of that glacier. It's really sad to see. Sad. And so that's what I mean. It's like you can do this exploration and, you know, traveling and gain appreciation for yourself and the world, right? And the environment. It's a domino effect, right? To know that I don't really want to go to a place where it's so many like America, like the ugly American is a thing. Like I don't want to go to a place where it's so many Americans that all the streets smell like pee, probably because everybody was getting wasted. Excuse me, like Kalsan Road? Come on. Like anybody just, yeah. just Google that. I was there for like 30 minutes and I was like, I've had enough. I just, I can't do this. That's not it for me, you know? And it's okay. It could be for you if that's what you want to do. But they, again, like it's not a judgment thing. It's just that I personally know that I want to get down with like the people because the people teach you stuff. The people te- put you on. A Mexican put me on to San Luis de Potosi when I was traveling in Mexico way back. He was like, no, if you love this, you got to do this. And one thing I'll say, and it's a good thing, and I don't like to generalize, but I do notice this. When you go to Mexico, Mexican people travel around their own country, which is more that I could say about Americans. Americans have to do it now because of lockdown. They're like, man, you know what? Well, well, let me get on this Google and figure it out. Nah, Mexicans love their country. Their country is absolutely stunning. There is, there are gems in every single state. It's organized like the United States with different states and different regions that are known for different things. And they're right below us. They're our neighbors. And for everything that they've contributed to our nation and continue to contribute to our nation regularly, that's how I put on for them. Is I, if When I have the opportunity, I spend my money over there. When I tell people where to go, I recommend, you could ask anybody, where should I go? Mexico. I'm always recommending it because people just don't get how absolutely beautiful it is down there, how friendly the people are. Man, it's it's just beautiful. So that's that's what it is. And again, outside of that all-inclusive yeah. resort, you know, like like I said before, you could recreate that any anyway. Like you could have gone to Orlando for that and saved probably a lot of money. I don't know. But yeah, and can you tell me about your experiences in nature, maybe growing up. I know a lot of people 
listening, they might not be the biggest nature people. And this is something that I always try to, you know, extract from the interviews on the podcast is like, you know, you get a lot of people who are like, oh, what about spiders? What about snake? I'm from Flatbush. I don't like, there's some cool stuff in Prospect Park. Don't get me wrong. There absolutely is. But uh, it's not like upstate where I grew up. I'm quite comfortable in nature. So as a city girl, tell me what it was like going to nature, maybe for the, the first time, or maybe this is something you regularly did, um, but how how other people can embrace that if they're not used to it. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't regularly do that, Matt. So you could do that. That was inaccurate. I don't regularly do this. I don't be in the park and all that. I didn't like grass for like a long time. I'm just not okay with the beach, to be honest, like sand. Okay. So that's, that's a little fun fact about me. Now I'm comfortable because I always have a drink. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> and a speaker. I'm like, all right, that makes it better, but I still hate sand. I hated grass for a very long time. I don't even recollect. Well, one thing I know we did was we would go to Bear Mountain, like, you know, these little family bus things and, you know, like a big old group church group go to the Bear Mountains. But that ain't really outside because then you got the tables and then you got the pool. So you're not really outside. So that would be the nature and the extent of outside nature wise that I had. OK. And I want to say, again, I think it was being open. So the best experience I've had has been has come from being open to the idea of doing something I haven't done before in a group, right? Because in this instance, peer pressure is good. So, you know, everyone in under 30 is going to the glacier. Like what I'm gonna say, no, no, hell yeah, I'm gonna go. And I'm not gonna like hug the sheep right now. Like I'm not into all of that, but I'll watch y'all, I'll watch y'all do all of that animal loving, lovey-dovey, you know, close, close. But I'm still seeing it. I'm like, okay, all right, a little something, okay. So, you know, Iceland was one of the first, I think, real experiences outside of Vietnam. I went gorilla trekking in Vietnam, actually. Somebody graciously paid for my trip. (laughs) And so that's what he was doing. And I said, shoot, I mean, you paid for it. I mean, all right, you know. And I wasn't prepared. I had no clothes for that. So I literally had to take my, I had like a cloth shawl thing, like a little Jack. It wasn't a, even a jacket. I tied it around my waist. Literally, I had the slippers from the hotel. I have to find this picture and send it to you, man. I look a hot ass mess. <laughs> I'm in the people damn jungle, looking crazy, so nothing would touch my skin because I'm not prepared for this. I thoroughly have active wear now. I'm proud of that. So that was my first experience. It wasn't bad. It was a little scary. You jump. I still jump if I hear a little sound. It's nature. You're in their territory, but you just got to take it easy. I think in 2014 or so, I went scuba diving and it's just like the Little Mermaid, like it's cloudy and then it just opens up into a beautiful world, right? And scary, scary as hell, you know? But my friend had a friend in the Bahamas and so she hooked it up. She was like, yo, like I got the hookup. I said, all right, well, you got the hookup and why not, you know? So over time, I've come to appreciate those experiences more. And then I want to keep going. Like I still haven't been skiing. I can admit that. And I wanted, I want to do it. We want to do a ski trip at some point really soon. Um, I'm afraid I'm gonna break something. So I might just be on the bunny slopes the whole damn time, but that's okay. So I think moving at your own pace is okay, but pushing yourself past the comfort level of a park, right? Having an out, if you can't physically meet, like when I went to Rainbow Mountain, they had the horses come with us so that if you get tired, if you 
you know, you can get on the horse and take a break. Um, totally. And that's no joke. That's over 16,000 feet at the top. Listen, I, I went to the top. I didn't even know the number, Matt. Thank you for enlightening me on what I did because I didn't know. I just was like, it's colorful, it's pretty, and I'm here. I, I did it. I met some friends in uh, Costa Rica. We were on the Ticabus. So Ticabus is a bus that connects the Central American countries. And we were we got on at the same stop and got off at the same stop. Um, this is my friend Sergio and, and Raimundo. And uh, we just stuck together after that. Like it was nighttime. We were like, wait, do you know where you're going? And I have my hotel, my hostel, excuse me. Back then I was hosteling. So I have my hostel ready. And they said, well, we'll just come with you and see if there's a space for us to sleep. And so I wasn't going to go to the vault. I wanted, I heard of the volcanoes. I wasn't going to go by myself though, because I didn't really map it out. I didn't know, but they had looked it up already. So they're like, um, do you want to go with us? And I was like, I mean, all right, why not? Right. And I wrote about this too. And I got, I got some feedback that, you know, that's super dangerous and things like that. So I talk about how to, in my blog about, you know, trust and things like that too. But that's when I hiked my dead eye volcano. And man, I was like cursing. I was cursing the whole way up and down. Okay. <laughs> I was not a happy camper. My body hurt like hell the next day. It was crazy. It was like Tomb Raider against the elements. My foot is in like <laughs> slurped into the mud. It was crazy. All right. I was sweating bullets by 11 a.m. And that wasn't even halfway through. But when I look back, I still feel so blessed that I could do it. And that I did it, even if I wasn't in the like, I wasn't like, oh, gung ho about it. Like Raimundo was making jokes and laughing. Sergio was like, come on in. You got it. You know, maybe ease up on the cursing a little bit. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, damn, this mud, you know, my boots were crazy, dirty after doing that. But I did it. And now that I have a son, it's like I could show him like. And we could do it together. We could go back and we could, you know, being a parent, test your metal in different ways. And so really going outside of your comfort zone is something that you'll do whether you want to or not in a lot of different situations. So travel is just one way to kind of ease into it on your own accord and feel like you have a little bit more control and peer pressure always helps. Like if I didn't go with those guys, I would have never just been like, all right, I'm just gonna go by myself. You know what I mean? And we were staying at this woman's house. It was a hospedaje because in Central America, like people run out their house and stuff. And she made us pancakes for breakfast. Her son was our guide with his dog. And I was like, you do this? Like, whenever people come here, he was like, yeah, it's like easy. And I was like, easy? I'm not <laughs> doing this again. Like, I'm out of here. This is too much. So it's it's so much waiting on the other side of your comfort zone. And that's what I tell my students. I'm like, you can't live in this space forever. You could try, but life is going to keep bombarding you with stuff. So it's good to just try to level up one time, two times, three times, four times. And then, you know, Rainbow Mountain is the hike that I did after I had done some of that other stuff. So it was easier. And then the people I did that with, I, I just signed up for a tour with a group and then I met some folks. We had lunch the next day. They just saw me in the street in Peru and we just had lunch and it was just beautiful. I've made a lot, I've just made friends over this and have memories of a lifetime that I just will never forget. And I know I can, I can handle what life throws at me because I've already done and handled a lot, right? And and been through a lot, both good and bad. But if I could choose to push myself and see God's work in the natural elements, why not? And, and that's really, you can find the motivation you want to have personally. But for me, I just 
some of the most beautiful things are not in cities. <laughs> Just being real with you, they're not. Amazing. It is hard for humans to create something more beautiful than the natural world and what's out there. I, I could not agree with that more. And be, okay, so before we wrap up, I got to ask you, uh, and this is something that I, I think about a lot. I think people who are, are thinking of having kids or having kids think, uh, I, I try to figure out, all right, how am I going to create an environment where my child is is still challenged, right? We we grew up with some some challenges, but like your son is growing up in a healthy, happy home. Her mom went to UPenn and is a doctor. And you know, this little guy probably has very little to worry about in his life. And so uh, but you know, if if we let our kids grow up soft, yeah, it's they can turn out soft and there's, there's something to be said about that. And so, you know, like you mentioned the silver spoon. So yeah, what, what are we going to do? And how are we going to make sure that our kids don't turn out uh, for lack of a better term, spoiled? No. So I, I feel you. There's research on this. You know, the researcher in me will be like, it's, it's evidence. It has evidence and everything. I think a lot of what has gone awry with the current generation, if, if I can kind of just as an educator who is, who teaches kids, and who observes and have, I have kids in my family and I say this to them all the time. I think when you give kids too much without requiring or demanding anything, it's a problem. And that's the first, that's the first step of parenthood, right? Is that, yes, you are very blessed. You're going to know that. You're going to know that you're blessed. But child, let me tell you, Lucas, that Marlon, Marlon can't wait for Lucas to go wash the car. I can't wait for Lucas to mow the lawn. I can't wait for Lucas to put stuff. He'd be all touching stuff. I'm like, put it in the trash. He'll take it out. I'm like, put it in. Clothes for mommy. You got to do work. You got to have chores in the house. You have to know where these things come from. You can't take things for granted. And you have to demand excellence, demand respect. You have to demand, you know, principles are never out of style. Values are never out of style. Work ethic is never out of style. But a lot of people will tell you if you want meme university on Instagram and, you know, they try to say, oh, unlearn this and unlearn that. Look, everything my family gave me wasn't bad. So I'm not going to unlearn what got me to where I am because that's what got me to be great. And, and I have to give my mom a lot of credit in those ways. And also putting your kids in stuff. You know, I think the and this is the educator in me talking, but whatever you expose your kid to is what they will know and what they will be used to. I literally recorded a video of Lucas today reading his highlights book. He literally will sit down and take it and just open it. And, and, and that's what we do. But we've been reading to Lucas since he was born. And my mom used to be like, that's so crazy. And I'm like, it ain't crazy when you know that he going he gonna to go to school reading. He's very, he talks a whole lot. You know, I'm his mama. So that, that was going to happen. <laughs> you cannot be afraid to bring your kids outside. That's one thing I'll say about, um, you know, an observation I have about white people compared to black people, right? Like, is that, you know, I find that white people are more comfortable bringing their children any and everywhere. And black people tend to have, you know, reservations around, oh, they not, they too young for this, or I'm not going to bring them to the, to the restaurant because I know they're going to turn up or I don't want to deal with them. And it's like, no, because a big part of what we do as parents is socialization. If a child does not know how to sit in a restaurant and watch other people speaking and, you know, all of that, they're not going to learn it. Again, back to the spoiled kids. 
You're not going to sit at no establishment out. My cousins hate me because whenever we go out, put the phones down. Put the phones down. Turn. I'm not. No, y'all going to sit at this table and converse like human beings. So we just have to demand that we have to have our our standards and keep them high. And I think that's just how we we don't spoil them and, and expose them to different experiences. Have them talk to people like, you know, when Lucas gets older, I really want him to kind of shadow people in different industries that are my friends. Yo, can he just come to the job real quick and just just talk to you? And if he don't ask you at least five questions, you let me know and I'll light him up. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> that's really what it is for me because it's the next level. If if you're inheriting all of this and you want to be good and you want your kids to be good, these are the things you have to do in life because that's what me and dad and, and grandma and, and nana and auntie, we all did it this way so that you could do this way and beyond, you know? So that's, that's what I got for the parents. Don't be afraid to travel with your kids. Life does not end when you have kids. Lucas is our best friend. We go out with him. He be at, he be at the brewery with us. Stroller <laughs> chilling. He got his milk. We got the beers. It's okay. Ain't nobody judging you. And if they do something, judge their mama. <laughs> that, I mean, and what a, what a great place to, to leave off. And, and I'm glad I couldn't have asked a better person because you're, you're an educator and a parent. So that's awesome. Wow. And I, I hope it's not another several years before it we get the be. chance to hang out. Please. It please. won't be. I, it's intentional. It will not be, Matt. It won't be. But, you know, whatever time passes between us, I'm, I'm always comforted to know that you're still, you know, you're still you. That's important. You know, you're still doing what you need to do. And you're still like just an amazing human connecting people like under 30. Crazy, crazy community. Everybody, look, y'all get on a trip now. The whole payment plan thing, Matt put me on. And, and as somebody who's in the business, it's a model that works. I look at you, I, I know you don't think this, but I do look at you as one of my mentors in terms of how you have shown up in this space over the years since Iceland. And uh, we'll definitely be talking again so I could get my notebook out and uh, make sure I get this going in the right way. So I appreciate you and I miss you. And when I get upstate, I'll let you know for sure because we coming up there. Thank you. Absolutely. And my brother lives in Park Slope. So I'm, I'm serious. I know some outdoor spots in, in, uh, in Prospect Park. So we're going to, let's go. We're going to do it. And, and before we wrap, uh, you got to tell people where they can find you, follow you, your blog. You got the trip to Uganda. You got the trip to Jalisco. Uh, yeah. Tell them where, where they can connect. Yes, I am the voluptuary. So my website is www dot the voluptuary v-o-l-u-p like peter t-u-a-r-y dot com www.thevoluptuary.com i-g at t-h-e underscore voluptuary that's me subscribe that's the best way you could support us because we don't own you know social media and so if you're not following us directly you won't hear from us add us to your inbox when you get the love but the blog is there show the blog some love spread it you know, word of mouth is one of our biggest ways that we all make business work. And so if you heard something that you like, check it out. That's where I am. IG. I'm on Facebook, but I'm still working on that. I don't know. But I'm there. But, you know, it's all on the, the link tree and all that stuff. But the voluptuary.com is the website. The trips are live. They're there. Subscribe. And I hope to see you soon. I hope to, sh I hope to share the five senses and gallivant the world with you. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt.